We've sung about some good news this morning. And when you think about good news, a lot of times good news is so good that you don't want to keep it to yourself, right? In fact, sometimes good news is so good that you don't want to keep it to yourself. And a couple examples might be a, a young couple has been engaged for, uh, well, they've been dating for a, a period of time and, and now they have become engaged. And the first thing they want to do is they want to go and tell everybody about it, right? They're going to plaster it on social media. They're going to they're, they're like go through the details of here's all the photos. Here's the video of what took place. She's showing off the ring to everyone and he's bragging to the buddies about how it all went down. Unfortunately, it's downhill from there, man. I mean, you're going you're gonna to do it the best then, and you're going to struggle to do it the rest of your life. Well, at least that's what my wife tells me. Um, but we love to tell good news. That young couple gets married, they go a few years, and now they're going to expect a baby. And so what do you do? You tell the news, man, we're, we're pregnant. We're pregnant. And when we find out the gender, we do gender reveals, and man, those are getting creative these days. I mean, hitting golf balls and busting balloons and shooting shotguns, and I don't know what else is going to come out. Maybe you go fishing and you catch a pink fish. I don't know how else we're going to get creative there, but we tell the news. Other examples might be a new job. You just can't help to tell somebody, man, I got this job I've been wanting. I, I got the promotion. I accomplished something. My team made it to the championship. We're about to hit March Madness. It could be something as simple and easy as a new purchase. For instance, this past week, I bought a chainsaw. Can I get a witness? I mean, when you get to be 43 and you're a middle-aged man and you live in Powhatan, chainsaws excite you. And so I've been wanting a certain brand and a certain model for a couple of years, and I've been holding off and kind of babying the one I had, and it finally died. And so I'm like, bless God, I'm going to get the chainsaw I want. <laughs> So I got the chainsaw, I used it, went home the first day, I cut a tree down, cut it up, and began to burn that thing. I mean, it was just like being a man all over again. I can't help but tell people about such a great product. Amen. <laughs> I didn't even tell you what the product was, but you probably know. As we come to the close of Luke chapter 4, I think what we find here is Jesus is in a similar predicament. He, he, he's a similar situation. He's not buying a chainsaw. He's not getting married. He's not having a baby. But he's got some news he just can't keep to himself. He's got some news that it's too good to keep to himself. And he wants to share it with others. You see, Jesus up to this point has been revealing himself as the Messiah. Jesus has been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons from the possessed. He's been transforming people's lives in Capernaum around the Sea of Galilee. And now he's going to move further. Why? It's because it's good news that can't stay there. Right? Jesus has good news that he doesn't want to keep to himself, doesn't even want to isolate to the people of Capernaum and the greater area around the Sea of Galilee. He's not satisfied with keeping it there, and so he's going to share it with others. You see, what we see in this passage this morning that we're going to look at is that the news of the kingdom must be shared rather than hoarded. What I want to encourage you as a believer, what I want to encourage you as a church today is, is not to hoard the gospel, not, not to build it up and, and pile it in our, the back rooms of our house or the back rooms of our life and keep it to ourselves, but understand that this news of the kingdom is so good that not just you and your family need to hear it, but your extended family, your friends, your neighbors, the community, the state, the nation, and the nations need to hear it. Look with me in Luke chapter 4. And let's read these last three verses of Luke 4. 
It says, and when it was day, remember what was happening. He's in Capernaum. He's been healing. He's been at Simon's house. He healed Simon's mother-in-law. The town came to him. He healed their people. He cast out demons. And so when it was day, the next morning, he departed and he went into a desolate place. I don't have time to say a lot about that, but what we see Jesus oftentimes doing is when he's been doing ministry, he retreats to be with the Father. I believe that's what's happening here. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The people of Capernaum had come to know Jesus in a real short amount of time. Jesus had been there with him. He'd casted out the demons and healed their bodies. His ministry that night resulted in the healing of nearly every sick person in the entire community. They had come to Simon's house. They had experienced Jesus' special loving touch upon their lives. Really, the only ones who had not been healed by Jesus were the most hardened cynics that lived there. Everyone else had come to Jesus. Everyone else had experienced Jesus. They'd relished in their newfound health. I mean, think about what Jesus would have done in some of their lives. That night, the leper came to Jesus, and he was an outcast, but he came to Jesus, and as I emphasized last week, Jesus placed his hands on a person like that. And now this man is sitting there at home, and he's touching this skin that's smooth and silky. It's new, and it's fresh. And not only is he touching it, but others want to touch it. It's a newfound health he's never experienced before. The mom of an infant who had a sick baby that was on the verge of death now is clutching that baby in her arms and there's no longer a cough, there's no longer a sickness, there's no longer the threat of death. She's been experienced, she's experienced the special touch of Jesus. The family who had lost a a son, maybe a daughter, months ago to demon possession, that child, that person had been living as an outcast, doing all kinds of evil things and terrible things. Now they're embracing this loved one once again because Jesus has touched this person. In addition to all of those wonderful miracles, Jesus had preached in the synagogue earlier that day. They had heard him preach the gospel. They had responded in faith to the gospel. And so they had heard him and believed on him and trusted him by faith. And so not only are they physically healed, but they're spiritually healed. And so you can understand why when Jesus begins to depart or wanting to depart, they come and say, no, 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 Jesus, you need to stay here. We need you here in Capernaum. We need you here in our town. We need you here with our people because they had been touched by him. And so we're not surprised that they would want him to stay. We're not surprised that they would even attempt to keep him there. And Luke doesn't tell us that they were trying to keep him by force, but you got to believe that there are some at least thinking that we got to have this guy stay here, right? He can't leave. And so we're going to do what we need to do to keep him here. Who would not want the prospect of living in a town where everyone, old and young alike, are healthy? We're also not surprised by what Jesus says here. We're not, respo- we're not surprised by his response to the people. Why? Because it's the purpose and the passion of Jesus that we see all throughout this gospel. It's the purpose that pervades the word of God itself, that God is on mission for people. God is on mission to transform people's lives. So we read that Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. 
This phrase, the kingdom of God, it's the first time we're going to see this phrase, but we're going to see it 31 more times in the gospel of Luke. We're going to see the word kingdom six times in this gospel. He's going to use it in the book of Acts as well. The kingdom of God is a big deal, and yet here Luke does not unpack it for us. It doesn't give us great description about what the kingdom of God is, but I believe in the first four chapters of this gospel, we've already seen this collective picture of the kingdom, that God has sent his son to usher in his kingdom, to transform the lives of people, to bring salvation to mankind that would create this sphere of transformation. As we think about the kingdom, I believe it's important that we understand it and look at it dynamically rather than statically. In other words, when we think about the kingdom of God, what we're going to see throughout this gospel is this idea of the kingdom. It's not a static kingdom with static borders. You know, we're Turn on the television now, what do you see? You see the nation of Ukraine on a map, and you see where Russia is invading on various points of that map. And so there's static borders to the nation of Ukraine. There's static borders to the nation of Russia. We understand that. When it comes to the kingdom of God, it doesn't have static borders. We understand it dynamically. In other words, the kingdom of God is in the heart of his people. That crosses geographic borders. It crosses cultures. And so the kingdom of God is not isolated to a nation state. It's isolated to the people of God within the nation states. This kingdom of God also has a past manifestation to it. Psalm 24.1 reminds us of the sovereignty of God. It reminds us that God is sovereign over all things, and He's been reigning over all things from the very beginning. We also see in the Word of God that many have already been a part of this kingdom. We think of the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We think of other great men and women of the faith. They're part of that past kingdom of God. But there's also a present and future manifestation to this kingdom. There's an already not yet aspect to God's kingdom. It's already because there have been some aspects of the Old Testament promises fulfilled in Jesus, realized in Jesus, and yet it still awaits the coming consummation of the return of Christ. And so there's a past, a present, and a future component. What I think Luke here is, is speaking of, what he's recording here, is a present manifestation of the kingdom as Jesus is bringing that kingdom into the lives of people. Why did Jesus come? If we go back to what we've looked at a few weeks ago where Jesus stood up there in Nazareth and he read from the prophet Isaiah and he said, today this has been fulfilled in you. What did Jesus come to do? It said there he came to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to preach the gospel to the blind. He came to preach the gospel to the captive and the oppressed. You see, Jesus came to those who were squashed by life's circumstances, who saw no way out, who found living itself to be an oppression. And Jesus came to give them freedom. That's what Jesus came to do. He's bringing the kingdom of God into the lives of sinful man. And this news was so good, he couldn't keep it to himself. What if Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, came to this earth, bringing in the kingdom of God, and for his entire life just kept it to himself? Like no one knew about it. What a tragedy that would have been. Now we know that would have never happened. He came for that purpose. We read that, and yet... We're going to see, hopefully, in, toward the latter part of this message this morning, that's many times how we live our lives. We've experienced the kingdom of God, and we sit on the kingdom of God without spreading it. Just kind of wetting your appetite for just a moment. Jesus didn't do that. 
See, he had news so good, so great, so wonderful that he didn't keep it to himself, but it was also so wonderful and so incredible that he didn't want to keep it to the people of Capernaum or even the greater area around the Sea of Galilee. Other towns, other people needed to hear of this kingdom. This was the purpose for which Jesus was sent by the Father. That's what he says. So this verse reveals God's divine love for lost sinners. But it also presents to us a divine passive, that that the Father has sent the Son. And in that passive, we also see a divine imperative. Jesus understood why he was sent. Therefore, it was imperative that he go and preach and share the love of God to others. The news of the kingdom was so good that the Lord Jesus couldn't keep the news to himself. For that matter, the news of the kingdom was so good, he didn't want to keep the news to himself. He didn't want to keep it to the people isolated there around Capernaum. He was committed to spreading the news because that was the purpose for which the Father had sent him. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know the transformation that he's made in your life. You know what he can do in others' lives. And you know that you are called, just like Jesus, to be a messenger of the kingdom, spreading the news of it within your circles of influence and even taking it to the nations. There's a divine commission to proclaim the gospel upon each believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's placed it upon his church. I'm going to read in just a moment. I'm going to point out there in Matthew 28 when Jesus says, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a commission that he gives his church, which means if you know Jesus Christ, you're part of the church, which means it's your commission. It's your responsibility to take that to the people who need to hear it. While the commission is in place over our lives, we realize that many times it's not lived out, Right? Many times have we not lived that commission out in our lives. You see, some Christians are reluctant to spread the news of the gospel with their family. We're, we're, we're reluctant to share it with our friends. We're reluctant to speak of it to our neighbors and our classmates and our co-workers. Some are fearful to cross cultures for the sake of reaching the lost with the gospel. And we'll make excuses and say, man, I can never get on a plane. Or, man, I couldn't go over there. I don't know the language. I don't know whatever. I don't like the food. We'll come up with excuses. What we need to understand as a Christian is that yes needs to be on the table regardless of where the call is. He's called us to go across the street, across the seas, and across the classroom with the gospel. That's what Jesus does. God calls his people to share the good news of the kingdom. Jesus here provides a model for doing this. And so what I want to do just real practically this morning, give you just maybe three truths, three thoughts about how you and I can spread the news of the kingdom of God. If I'm going to do that, first of all, I must think of others. If I'm going to spread the news of the kingdom of God, I must think of others. Look at verse 43 again. Look at what Jesus says. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For this was the purpose for which I was sent. You see, as we read this, we see Jesus' heart and his eyes were fixed on both the people of Capernaum and those in the other towns. Jesus had a a, a tractor beam on the people of Capernaum, but he could also see the others who still needed to hear. His love for people enabled him to see them. Jesus had this ability. Obviously, he's divine. Obviously, he's, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, he's full of love. He had the ability to see people where they were. 
He could see their hurts. He knew their needs. He was concerned about them. There was a compulsion behind him to go and to preach and to share and to minister and to heal the broken spaces of people's lives. That's why he was compelled to go to the towns and to preach in the synagogues. What we see here is divine love on display. What we see here is John 3, 16 lived out. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he came. For God so loved the world that he went. Why? For God so loved the world that he saw the needs in the people's eyes, in the people's lives. This is the love of God on display. This is why he went. This is why he's saying, hey, I could stay here. I could put, put, uh, pitch a tent. I could open a shop. I could be a healing minister guy that people would come from all around. But that's not the reason I came. I came to preach the gospel, and I must go to them. Why? Because I'm thinking about them. As Christians who have experienced the love of Jesus and those of us who have experienced the power of the gospel in our lives, we too must be able to see people. we got to see people. Many times we don't see people. Let's just be honest. We're just going through life, and, and we got, you know, racehorse runs with blinders on both sides. Why? So he doesn't get distracted, or she gets distracted by the horses around them. A lot of times we run the race of life with blinders on each side of our eyes so that we don't see the people around us. Went to the mall yesterday for the first time in a long time. I felt like... Like I was in a different country. I'm like, wow, we have this many minorities right here in the greater Richmond area. This is incredible. Felt like an outcast almost, right? Like these are not my people anymore. I need to figure out who these people are. It was was eye-opening for me because I've been there in a long time. We need to have eyes that see the people who are around us. When we see them, we're going to think about them. Unfortunately, we're so distracted at times. We're so caught up in the busyness of life that we're prevented from seeing and thinking of other people. But when we think about love and when we see the love of God here, we see that love puts others first and love always puts oneself second. Think about what Jesus said in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus says that what love is, is that you don't put yourself in the forefront and you don't put yourself on, on the front burner of life. No, you put yourself on the back burner of life and you put others up there in the front. You think about them, you see them, you acknowledge them. You're working toward ministering to them. Christian who's committed to carrying out the mission of Christ and the Christian who's committed to spreading the news of the kingdom is, is a person who thinks of other people. He or she possesses a divine love for people, and that love is, is, gives the ability to see people through their sin, to see people through their lifestyle. This love recognizes sin, yes. We're going to see sin. We ought to recognize sin. But the love of God allows us to see through the sin, understanding the need for redemption, and want to minister to people, compelled to go to them, despite any sin in the lifestyle created by it. And so the question is, do we possess that divine love for people? Do we love people like Jesus did? Are we thinking of them? Do you even think about the need for Jesus and the gospel and the lives of the people that are around you? I mean, we go and we do life with the same people all the time. You work with the same people primarily. I mean, even if you're a route runner or a salesperson, you're still visiting the same people and stores and shops and businesses on a routine basis. You're building relationships there. If you're a, a, a student, you're in the same classes with the same students every single day. Do we see them and think of them and wanting in the love of God to spread the news of the gospel with them? 
You see, you'll never spread the news of the gospel without thinking about the people. Secondly, if I'm going to spread the news, I must go to others. So I'm going to think about others. And secondly, I must go to others. Look what Jesus says again. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. What Jesus is saying here is this. God the Father has sent me. God the Father has sent me here for this very purpose, to minister, to preach, to, to, to think of others, to spread the news of the kingdom. This divine passive here reveals that Jesus possessed a divine calling upon his life. And we've discovered in these first four chapters that this calling was from birth. This is why Jesus came. It was for this very purpose, to bring the kingdom, to spread the news of the gospel with people. Jesus, therefore, was committed to going to all, all the other towns because the Father had sent him for that very purpose. And you think about it from our standpoint, I don't know about you, but I'm not the Son of God. I'm pretty sure, certain you're not the Son of God. But the Son of God, if we've come into relationship with him, this is what he says to us. Even as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Right? That's what the Gospels say, right? That's what the Word of God says. That's what John 20, 21 says. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 that I alluded to earlier says, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8 1, says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are called, we are commissioned to go on behalf of the Lord Jesus. So if I'm going to be committed to spreading the news, I need to understand first, I need to think about other people. I need to see them and their needs. And then secondly, I must go. I can't wait for them to show up at church. Why do we not do attractional evangelism for the most part here at Red Lane? Number one, God never told us in his word to do attractional evangelism, to build that as the model for taking the gospel to the people. And, and secondly, it doesn't work anymore. Right? 50 years ago, we could put on a huge program, we could do something wonderful, and the community would show up. We can do that in some other parts of the world, but you can't do that in America anymore. Some people will come, but you're not going to reach everybody. The best thing we can do is to go to people. That's what we've been called to do. So the Great Commission commissions us as believers to take the gospel to the others. It's not just the responsibility of the vocational pastor, the vocational minister. It's not the responsibility of our vocational staff. No, that calling, that commission is on every person who names the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, the Lord expects and has called you and I to spread the good news of the gospel where we live and work and play, all of those circles of influence that we have. He sent you there to tell others about him. Why? Because you're the best person for that job. You know the people, right? If you call me and say, Pastor, I've got a couple of friends I really want to share the gospel with, would you come to my office and share the gospel? Absolutely. If you want to do that, I'll come there and, and we'll, we'll handle that. But I don't think that's the best approach. Why? I don't have the relationships with them. They don't know me from Adam. I'm that crazy guy that yells on a Sunday morning, right? I, I don't know. I heard, somebody in the, I heard from someone in the county a few weeks ago saying that, that, that I'm a cult leader here in, in, in Powhatan. So as, maybe I'm the cult leader. I'm not sure here. Yeah, you get in public office, you get lots of weird things said about you. Um, so I don't know the, the thing there, but here's what I do know. You have a relationship with them, right? And the gospel travels best across the bridge of relationships, 
And so use your relationships, leverage your relationships for the sake of the gospel. As Christians who've experienced this, the divine love of God, as those who've heard the divine commission upon our lives, are we going to lean into this I must go view of life? When are we going to start leveraging these relationships? Some of you are, many of you are, and to God be the glory for that, but let's all do that. Because that's what the Great Commission calls us to do. Third thing that I want you to see this morning is this. If I'm going to spread the news, I want to think of others. I must go to others. And then thirdly, I must share with others. So if I don't go, or if I just go to them, but I don't share, I haven't really done anything. I must share with others. Look what Jesus says again. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. I must preach. Jesus didn't say, I must go and heal people. He didn't say, I must go and cast out demons from people. He didn't say, I must go and and make people feel good about themselves. I must go and be a a warm, fuzzy, uh, um, uh, encouraging speaker, motivational speaker. He's not saying that at all. He says, I must go preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what we got to do. I must share with others the gospel. Jesus could see people. Jesus was committed to going to people for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel with people. That's what we see in this passage. You see, he clearly understood this divine imperative based upon this divine passive. The Father has sent, therefore I am compelled to go. I must preach. Luke loves this word, must, die in the Greek. He's going to use it multiple times in both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Here he's using it to just help us understand that this is an imperative upon the life of Jesus. And I believe it's an imperative upon the life of a believer. As Christians, we need to feel the weight of this word. I believe we need to live under the weight of this word. We must live under this imperative placed upon our life. Why? Because it's a duty that we need to embrace. We need to understand this is a Christian duty that that we are called, commissioned, to share the gospel with others. Here's what I want you to see in that. We will pray, thankfully. Thankfully, we have this heart, right? We see the needs of people around us. We know that they need Jesus as Lord and Savior. And thankfully, many times we will be compelled to pray for them. Lord God, would you please work in the life of so-and-so? God, he needs Jesus. She needs Jesus. The life is erect. The marriage is falling apart. Whatever the situation is, you're praying for them. You're asking God to intervene. And what does the Lord many times want to do? He wants to use you. You're the answer to your own prayers. Why? Because you have the relationships, right? You're the answer to your own prayers. And so we must share with other people. We want to see them to come to become Christians. We want to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he's not going to, God's not going to send an angel, right? He's not going to do that. I've never seen an angel just come. I mean, maybe it'll happen in some isolated situation. I don't want to put God in a box here, but that's not what I see in the Word of God anymore. I, I see him sending his people. So we can't depend on God sending an angel to proclaim the gospel. I've never seen the gospel written in the sky. And before you take me to Romans 1 and say, well, God speaks to us through natural revelation. I understand that we're talking about special revelation here. I've never seen the gospel written out in the clouds. I've seen it fly by on a plane on the beach, but I've never seen it the other way. 
I don't think your loved one's going to be digging in the yard, planting the garden, and dig up some golden plates, and there's the gospel. I don't think that's going to happen. So how is the person you're praying for to come to Jesus going to come to Jesus? It's going to be when he hears it, she hears it from you, and responds in faith. Why? Because you're the answer to the prayers you're praying. I must go preach the gospel of the kingdom. Is God sovereign in all of this? Absolutely. Is God sovereign in calling people to saving faith? Absolutely. Is God sovereign in sending his people to do that? Absolutely. And we need to keep those two things in tandem. Let me share with you out of Romans chapter 10, just kind of what I was meaning by that statement I just meant. Many times I think we as Christians, uh, it's funny, uh, I meet Christians and, and they're like, they want to they really want to push against any sort of sovereign election and God's sovereignty and calling, drawing people to themselves because we want to do it ourselves, right? We want to be in control of everything. And yet when we get to this type of message and we're like, God, God calls you to go. He wants you to be a part. He wants you to participate. And, and then that person who wants to, to push against election then pushes back the other way back. No, no, no. God is sovereign in electing people. He doesn't need me to go. And so you can't have it both ways. You got to hold it in tension there. Let me share with you what Paul says in Romans 10. Verse 13, beautiful verse, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he goes on, right? right? God's sovereign in this. You call, God's going to, he's going to bring salvation into a person's life. How does that happen? He says, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? In other words, an angel's not coming. They're not seeing it in the clouds. How are they to believe in him of who of whom they've never heard. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What's Paul saying in all this? He's saying you and I partner with the Lord in taking the gospel to people. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be sent. How do they get to that point? It's because we as a Christian understand that I've been sent. We as a church understand we've been sent. To take the gospel. And when we do that, man, that's beautiful. That is a beautiful moment, a beautiful moment of salvation. And as we think about this gospel, it is beautiful. See, some things are just too good to keep to ourselves. Some things are so good, we don't want to keep them to ourselves. It's hard to keep good news to yourselves. Man, when you get engaged, you want to shout it from the mountaintop. I am getting married. We are getting married. You're having a baby. You want to shout, we are having a baby. I was, uh, the other day, I went fishing with one of our uh, men in our church, and his wife is pregnant, and they just found out what the uh, gender is going to be, and I hadn't heard the news yet. He's like, hey, man, I don't know if you've seen on Facebook, but we're having a girl. She was out there, too. And I'm like, that's awesome. I know all about girls, right? <laughs> so do you, because you have one. Girls are awesome. We, we can't keep that news to ourselves. You get the promotion, you want to tell people, you buy a new car, you want to show it off, not in a bragging sense, but man, look how God's blessed me in this. You go to the doctor, you're having a test done, it's a cancer test, and you're nervous about it, and it comes back benign. What do you want to do? You want to get up on the mountaintop and shout, it's benign, I'm cancer free, I'm good. And yet for some reason, it's not as easy for believers to shout, Jesus has changed my life. I think it's easier when you're a new Christian, but for whatever reason, the longer we walk with Jesus, the less passionate we are to talk about that. Why? I've never understood. I see it in my own life, but I don't understand it. Why is it that we become less and less committed to sharing the gospel the longer we walk with Jesus? It might be that all of our friends are Christians, and we, don't just, rub, we just don't rub shoulders with non-believers as much. I don't know. 
Maybe it's so long, it's been so long since Jesus has changed our life, we forget what we were like before. I don't know. But we need to, to, to somehow try to balance that in our life. We want to tell others. We don't want to be reluctant about spreading the news. Came up with this title earlier this week, and those of us who are a little older can remember that old, um, I think it was a butter commercial, spreading the news, and the tune kept going through my head, spreading the news back in the 80s. But that's what we want to do. We want to spread the news. We want to think of others. We want to see them in their need. This morning, do you think about people? Do you see the needs in their life? Another reason for not spreading the news is because we, we may think it's someone else's responsibility. I wonder this morning, do you see yourself as God's answer to the people around you? Do you see yourself as God's answer to those kids in your classrooms, in, in, in your coursework at school? Do you see you as God's answer for the people in your shop or your business or people who live on your street? Another reason we may not spread the news is because we just simply fail to open our mouths and share it with others. And so I just want to remind you this morning, it is the duty of a Christian to talk about Jesus. But it's even better than that. It's the delight of the Christian. It's the delight of the Christian to do that. You remember what I just read in Romans 10? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. It's beautiful in a couple ways. It's beautiful because you're seeing a sinner, a lost sinner, dead in trespasses and sins, moving from hell to heaven, right? I mean, the U-Haul is turned around and it's going the other direction. That's a beautiful thing. But it's also beautiful because here's a person who thought of that person rather than thinking of themselves. It's beautiful. It's the delight of Christian. It's so wonderful to, to be a part of God transforming a person's life. That is a delight. If you've ever had the opportunity and taken the opportunity to share the gospel and see one come to Jesus and disciple that person, and you've been able to watch how God has transformed that life, that family, that whole situation, that is something that you delight in. You want to do it some more. It is the duty of a Christian. It is the delight of the Christian. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's a beautiful endeavor. And so this morning, if you're a Christian, who has the Lord sent you to? Are you spreading the news with those people? And if not, why not? What's keeping you from that? Pastor, I don't know how to share the gospel. Great. You've admitted your problem. We can help you with that. I can teach you how to share the gospel. It's simple. You talk about your own testimony. That's where you need to start. What is it that's keeping you from spreading the news with the people closest to you? Are you fearful? Are you lack confidence? What is it? Identify that. Let's talk about it. And then let's move toward spreading the gospel in the lives of the people around us. Let's use our relationships to that end. This morning, if you're not in relationship with Jesus, what I hope you see out of Luke chapter 4 is the heart of the Lord for you. Jesus is saying here, hey, I'm not going to stay in Capernaum. I'm not going to keep the gospel right here on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to take it to the other towns. What does that mean for you and I? That means the gospel was so important to Jesus that he took it to the other towns, not just the Sea of Galilee. In fact, it went even further than the other parts of Israel. It jumped to Europe and it jumped to North America and it came to you here in Palatine. Virginia, because God loves you that much. And the verse I read earlier, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and Jesus says, I will give you rest. Today, you're weary and heavy laden with sin, and God's saying, lay it down here, confess that sin, and take my yoke upon you, take my life upon you, and I'll give you peace.
This morning, if you're not in relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to give your life to him. Do what the people did in Capernaum that day in the synagogue. They heard the gospel and they believed on Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. As Christians, let's take that message to everyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and to the Greek, which means it's for everyone, Lord. It's not just for a certain people group. It's not just for a certain geographical region of the world. The gospel is for every single person in every single place. And Lord, what we see in this passage is that you've called us, you've commissioned us, you've placed us as your hands and feet to walk that gospel out and to share it with everyone else. God, we need to do that overseas. We need to get on a plane. We need to go into hard to reach places, to reach far from people, far from God people. We need to do that. But Lord, we also need to be willing to walk across the road, right in our own neighborhood. We need to be willing to have a conversation with a coworker who needs to know Jesus. It's the duty of the Christian, but Lord, it's the delight of Christians. This morning, I pray that you've whet our appetite, you've encouraged us as believers to do that. Lord, I pray also for those who need to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. That, Lord, they see your love for them, they see your care for them, they see your concern for them. And, Lord, I pray that you're, through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, you're drawing them to yourself. And today they can respond to that. Just like those in Capernaum responded to Jesus in the synagogue, Lord, we can respond in faith to you today. And I pray that some will. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Move in our hearts. And God, I pray that what we've experienced here this morning, we would see results of in the days and weeks ahead. As many others will hear the gospel and come to Christ as a result. And for it's to that end, we're praying, Lord. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.